Well, hello and welcome to St. Peter's Fireside and Happy New Year to you. Uh, my name is Rob and I'm on the pastoral team here and it's a joy to worship with you today and to come to God's Word. Uh, before we do turn to God's Word, let's spend a moment and just pray together. Living God, thank you for a new year and for getting us through this Christmas. And as we turn now to your Word and consider the, the year before us, Father, we ask that you would come now and you'd grace us with your presence. May we find our rest in you today and may we be grounded in your love and in your grace. So come now and open our eyes to see you more clearly. May you soften our hearts to receive from your word. God, may you reignite that fire in our hearts that we might love you all the more. So come now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So often it seems like we're just running through the holidays, bouncing from one to the next. You know, after Halloween or after American Thanksgiving, suddenly all the lights come out and, and the blow-up Santa globes come out from the dusty closets and start lighting up the night sky. Fresh trees are hewn and plastic ones are, are pulled out of boxes in December or even sometimes November. And then December 26 rolls around, or sometimes even January 1st, if we're feeling really festive. And then suddenly the inflatable Santa globe just deflates into this sort of depressing plastic blob to be put back into a box and put away in storage until next year. We're back to school, we're back to work. The holidays are over. People are gearing up for a new year. Uh, some people are wanting to talk about a new you for some reason. And stores are now getting ready for February. But not so fast. It, it, it's still Christmas. You see, Christmas is meant to be a 12-day feast. It ends on Epiphany, which is January 6th. And so today's January 3rd, so it's the 10th day of Christmas. We've got three more days of Christmas tide. So today is the second Sunday of Christmas, which means today we're preaching a Christmas sermon. Uh, and we're staying in the story that changed the course of history. In Luke chapter 2, an angel came to visit shepherds in a field and proclaimed good news of great joy for all the people. So today I want to stay in that story and hear again the good news announced by the angels. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and everything will also appear on the screen in front of me. So beginning in verse 8, we read, In the same region there were shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Now, this passage is the go-to passage for all nativity scenes and nativity plays. I remember, I've got a very clear memory of when I was a child around seven years old, I actually was a shepherd in one of these plays. And I can still picture it like it was yesterday. Uh, there I was, dressed in my green dressing gown on the stage to the right, and I had a, a tea towel draped over my head, and I was cradling a Shaun the Sheep stuffy doll from Wallace and Gromit. And as I awkwardly stood there on stage, kind of out of the way, out of the limelight, looking out on a sea of parents' faces, with only my parents' faces looking straight back at me proudly with joy, I turned around and looked at the other shepherds around me. And so I realized something. We were all wearing our, our little dressing gowns. Some of us had tea towels on our heads. But as I looked more carefully at my fellow shepherds, 
I realized with horror that I had made a mistake. Because you see, under everyone else's dressing gowns, they were wearing normal clothing. And I was only in my underwear. Now fortunately, my blunder went unnoticed, uh, but that was the end of my nativity play uh, performing days. Now, now clearly, my little schoolboy self struggled to pay attention to the story in this nativity scene. So let's bring ourselves back into the story in Luke. In verses 1 to 7, we're told about how Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem to be registered. And while they're there, Mary gives birth to the baby boy, Jesus, her firstborn son. And in the same region, just outside Bethlehem, we're told that there were some shepherds in the fields. They're doing what shepherds do. Uh, They're in their ancient Near Eastern, normal shepherd's clothes without dressing gowns, probably wearing more than just underwear. Uh, and they're protecting the flock from predators and from danger. And it seemed like just any other ordinary night. They had a fire going, uh, they were trying to stay awake, fighting heavy eyelids that wished to sleep. The night was quiet. The wind was rustling through the leaves, the fire was crackling, the sheep were stirring and, and bleating. Our story starts with plain, ordinary shepherds. And at the time of the New Testament, shepherds were seen as just your humble, ordinary, blue-collar worker. They were humble and, and lowly. They were simple and unassuming. In Israel, the, the depiction of shepherds was mostly positive. Um, after all, the great king David was a shepherd boy. Shepherds were simple and ordinary people, humble and lowly. And it was th- to these tired, plain, ordinary shepherds who worked to stay awake in the fields in the middle of the night, watching over the sheep. It was to them that God decided to announce his most amazing news. Now, often when someone famous has a child, there's a great deal of fanfare and publicity. Like when Will and Kate had Prince George and Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis, or when Kim and Kanye had North and Saint and Chicago and Psalm. These children were the topics of tabloid magazines and even major press outlets. And with the new generation of royals, there's there's a wake of other children all over the world who share the names of George and Charlotte and Louis. Uh, Although I'm not sure that the the Wests have had the same effect. And in the ancient world, there was a similar degree of fanfare. When the emperor had a new child, heralds would be sent out all over the empire to announce the birth of the new heir. They would proclaim the good news to the whole world. But when God's only begotten son was born, the news wasn't proclaimed from the highest echelons of society. God announced the birth of his son to plain, ordinary shepherds. God isn't revealing himself to the special and the great. He's revealing himself to the ordinary and and the lowly and the humble at heart. He's revealing himself to people in their everyday lives. God doesn't pander to the rich and famous. He's, he's interested in the hard-working and the people who are just scraping to get by. God didn't reveal himself uh, to the world through flashy tabloids that seek to retain your attention through shocking capture graphics. God revealed himself in an extraordinary way to plain and ordinary people. He came to the shepherds. More specifically, God sent an angel to the shepherds. We read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
Now, I want to acknowledge that the Bible sometimes talks about things which are, seem kind of supernatural and are supernatural, and angels are just one of those things. Uh, and talking about angels is kind of strange, to be honest. Like, in, in fact, perhaps it's parts like this in the Bible and with Christianity that uh, make you feel uncomfortable with, with Jesus and with Christianity. Perhaps you like a lot of what Jesus said and did, and you value him for his moral teaching and ideas. But perhaps you feel like you can't rely upon the witness of, of the Bible because it talks about things like this, things which just don't fit into our ordinary day lives, the things which don't fit in a modern, rational perception of reality. And I'm not going to take the time to provide a list of 10 reasons why you should believe in angels. I, just, I don't think that's a good use of our time. But angels play a significant part of this passage today. And I think it might be helpful if I just stop for a moment and consider how the Bible actually understands and depicts angels. Now, I'm, I'm not sure what image comes to your mind when you think of angels, uh, but when angels show up in Scripture, they aren't these cute, chubby cupids flying around with little love bows. They're not even the winged humanoid images that we often depict and imagine in like gothic art, you know, with people with wings and a, and a halo. No, an angel in Scripture is quite a sight to behold. And in the Bible, there are, there are two different creatures that we often confuse and conflate with each other. There's, there's the category of angel, and then there's these things called cherubim and, and seraphim. And, and they're two different things. So, so the, the cherubim and the seraphim tend to appear in the writings of prophets, uh, usually during visions and dreams. They're these animal mashup-looking creatures, and their appearance seems really hard to describe. They have six wings, or, or four wings and two faces, or four faces and two wings. It's kind of confusing and, and strange and hard to grasp and define. And the cherubim and seraphim are the guardians of God's throne room. And they're part of the, the angelic host, the, the host of heaven that sing God praises. And although they appear in prophetic visions and dreams, no one in scripture actually ever meets a cherub or a seraph. The creatures people do meet in the Bible are angels. Now, angels in Scripture are, are heavenly messengers sent by God to speak to people on earth. Whenever an angel appears in the Bible, it always seems to be on a mission from God to help people pay attention to something that God is doing. We've already seen angels appear a couple of times in Luke's Gospel. They appear to Zechariah and to Mary. And actually, I found this kind of interesting and surprising And as I was just looking into this. Um, but in the Bible, these angels never have wings. So the little flying cupid thing is just completely wrong. Uh, the cherubim have wings, but angels don't. In fact, angels tend to be depicted more like these humanoid beings. Um, in fact, sometimes they're even described as, as people. There are other times when they appear in dreams, and when they do, they sometimes seem like these superhuman figures and beings. And they're hard to imagine, and they seem quite frightening. And it can be a pretty intense experience to meet an angel. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Daniel who, who meets an angel. And after the encounter, he explains, So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. It can be pretty intense to meet an angel. And almost always, the first words out of an angel's mouth when they appear to someone is, Do not fear. And that's exactly what we see here in our passage. Uh, if we look in verse 10, we read, and the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. 
Just, just think about that for a second. You know, this, this messenger from God has just appeared to you. There's something kind of different about this, this thing that's just appeared. Uh, it doesn't really look like an angel the way that you imagined it would, but you know that there's, just, there's something about it. It's, it's not from around here. There's, there's a weightiness to its presence, and the glory of the Lord is shining all around it. And as you're taking this whole sight in, and wondering if you can actually trust your mind to make sense of the reality in front of you, the first thing it says is, fear not. Like, oh, that's, that's really reassuring. Things are getting really weird right now. My understanding and lived experience of reality is just seismically shifted because there's an angel standing in front of me. Some divine being has just popped into existence right in front of my eyes. God is real, and I just made some really lewd jokes with my friends around the fire just a few moments ago, and I've just remembered all those things which I knew I should not ever do because they're wrong, but I did them anyway, and now there's an agent of God standing right in front of me, and I'm about to be smited. My heart would be pumping. My mind would be whirling. My, my stomach would be churning if this happened to me. I would be very, very afraid if an angel just appeared in front of me. Fear not. Fear not. This angel does not come to judge, but to tell. Fear not. This angel doesn't come to smite. It comes to announce. Fear not. They know our experience of reality has unalterably shifted. Our lived experience of this world just got weirder. And it turns out that what those saints of old proclaimed and told was true. Fear not. Do not fear to hear the voice of God speak into your heart and mind. Do not fear for light to dawn and for what's hidden in darkness to be revealed and exposed and driven out. Do not fear the pronouncement of heaven's herald, because these words from heaven are the words of life. Fear not, the angel says, for behold. Fear not, for behold. Behold, that there's something to see. Turn your attention to this. Behold. Look. See. Turn your eyes to this, the angel says, in the midst of your busy life. As you go back to work and, and family tensions unravel after the socially distanced Christmas gathering with ruined traditions and the world longing for a cure from this pandemic, behold, look, see. The angel appeared to the shepherds. It was sent by God to announce to plain, ordinary people, to humble shepherds, that God was up to something extraordinary and remarkable. The plea of the angel was for the shepherds to simply behold what God was doing, to look, to taste, to see. We read, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
This message from God, this messenger from God, didn't appear before the shepherds just to bring judgment. It came to announce good news. Good news of great joy. Good news that will be for all the people. That all the people of the earth would experience great joy at this good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, that's a bit of a strange way to talk about a baby that was just born in the town of the hill. I mean, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was with Mary and Joseph. But the angel is saying to these shepherds, unto you is born. So what's the angel on about? For unto you is born. To you is born. For you. Among you is born this, this child, this baby. The angel is saying that Jesus was born unto you, unto you shepherds out in the fields. For us plain, ordinary people, as we go about our jobs and our ordinary lives, Jesus is born for you, among you, to you, unto you. Christ the Lord is born unto you. In Matthew 1.23 we read, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was born unto shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. Emmanuel was born unto shepherds out in the field. Born unto them. Born unto us. Because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God with you. Because this is good news for all the people. Christ the Lord was born unto you. He came to be among you. He came to be with you. He didn't come to be with the rich and famous. He didn't announce the news of his coming to the elite, uh, to, to those of wealth and social significance. He didn't cozy up with the emperors and the rulers. No, he came to be with shepherds. He came to be with ordinary people. Those people whose significance and value isn't grounded in the subjective opinions of society, but whose worth and value is proven by their very existence as people made in the image of God. Jesus came for the shepherds of this world. He came to be among the ordinary because he sees and knows the value of the ordinary. The ordinary matters to God. But the angels don't simply say that Jesus came unto us, that they say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born a saviour. For among you is born a saviour. For to you, for you, is born a saviour. But a saviour from what? From the wolves? From, from those predators that were seeking to attack the sheep? Why do shepherds need a saviour? A saviour from what? Why can Jesus sim not simply just be God among us? God with us? Why does Jesus need to be saviour? Now the Bible explains that Jesus came to save us from sin. And now I know I've already talked about angels, I've already talked about one thing which is kind of difficult for us to grasp in our world today. But I also think that sometimes sin can be difficult for us to 
kind of get a handle on in our society today too, but for some slightly different reasons. Um, sin isn't a supernatural thing like, like angels are, but when we talk about sin, we're, we're challenging this cultural assumption and kind of this, this virtue we have in our postmodern society of moral relativism. I mean, isn't morality a, a socially constructed, culturally conditioned phenomenon of social norms? Why are Christians so bent on this whole sin thing and you know, projecting their moral universe upon everyone else? Why can't we just be good people and all get along? Didn't Jesus promote love? Why can't we just love everyone and just all get along and leave the sin thing behind us? Well, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And it goes on to say, And you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The reason we can't leave the, the moral objectivity of the Bible behind us is because Jesus came as a savior to save us from sin. The angel says to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I want to name and acknowledge the fact that sometimes it's Christians who are chief among sinners. And when this happens, it's usually because we've lost sight of who we are, and we've lost sight of being able to see our own sin. We've lost sight of who Jesus really is. Jesus comes as Savior, because we're dead in our sins. That's how Jesus comes. He comes to deliver us from sin and death. Jesus didn't come as a moral teacher. He didn't come to be a Gandhi or a Buddha. He came to do something that they could never do, to rescue us from our sin. Jesus didn't come just to give us some ethical guidelines for how to live well with one another. He is God with us. He is God with us, and he came to forgive us from all the ethical failures that we've made. And he came to forgive us for not loving him, and for not loving him with our whole heart. The shepherds needed a saviour because they were dead in their sins. We needed a saviour. We, we need a saviour because we are dead in our sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. The angel appeared to the shepherds announcing this good news. Fear not, but behold, come look and see. This is what God has come to do, to be with you and to save you. To save you so that you can be with him. And as soon as the angel says this, we read in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
as though heaven can't contain its joy. A multitude of the heavenly host appear out of nowhere. And this term heavenly host, the host term, it's, it's a military term. It's like an army of angels, a battalion of heaven. Heaven sent a battalion of angels on the, to earth the night that Christ was born. But they didn't come to wage war. No, they've come to declare peace. Peace that the war is over. Peace that Christ has come. Peace, the enemy has been defeated and heaven's victory is won. And so this angelic battalion becomes a choir. And with this unbridled joy, they burst into song. Because the angels of heaven can't contain their delight that God is at work in the world. They cry out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's an explosion of joy. Heaven's army doesn't drop a weapon of mass destruction to bring an end to the war against sin and death. No, they, they drop a joy bomb instead as they praise God in the highest. The angels are worshipping God in heaven. The angels are delighted to sing God praises. But their praise and worship of God isn't because God rescued them. Angels don't sing songs of praises because they were rescued from their sins. The angels haven't sinned. No, angels sing songs of praise to God because they know what God is. They know who God is. And they know that he is worthy of their praise. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, we read, Concerning this salvation, which is the salvation Jesus came to bring to us, uh, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The angels long to look into these things of salvation. The good news which they proclaimed to the shepherds, and which has been announced and declared to us about Jesus and how he came to save us. They long to look and understand. The angels don't worship God because he rescued them from their sin and rescued them from death. No, the angels worship God simply because he is God. The angels haven't experienced the salvation that Jesus brought for us. Their joy isn't the joy of being saved. Their joy isn't the joy of receiving grace and forgiveness. Their joy isn't the joy from being freed and rescued from sin. No, the joy of the angels is the joy of heaven. It's the delight of God, praising God in the highest for who he is. The angels of heaven set off a joy explosion, worshipping and praising God in the highest. And their joy was contagious when the shepherds saw this miraculous thing happening in front of them. Afterwards, they said, perhaps we should go to Bethlehem and see this thing for ourselves. And they go, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The angels said to the shepherds, Fear not. For behold, to ordinary, humble, plain old shepherds, fear not. Behold, to you and to me, 
the words of heaven are the same. Fear not, for behold, come, look and see. In Bethlehem, the Christ is born. Jesus is God with us, and he has come to be Savior and Lord. Our Savior has come to be with you and me to save us from sin and death. So fear not, for behold, come to Bethlehem and see. The song of angels, their, their joy and delight, is made available now for you and for me, so that we may come and see. So may we come and may we see. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. And may we go forth in praise, proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill with those with whom he is pleased. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for coming into this world and appearing first to shepherds, to announcing your gospel of good news to ordinary people because you came for ordinary people. You came for all people. You came for, for me and you came for us. And we ask that you would come and you would open our eyes to see you all the more clearly. May we not fear to hear you speak to us, but may we behold you and see you and adore you. May we know heaven's delight May we praise you with joy and gladness. Joy and gladness even in the midst of this strange world in which we live. Because your joy, God, is not a temporary joy which is tarnished and, and constrained by the things of this world. Your joy is an eternal joy. It's a joy which surpasses all things in this world. May we know that joy. May we come and rest in that joy. May we praise you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.